some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird kick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue what was throwing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and looked back, and that's when I saw it. I saw one. actually attacked two railroad workers, uh, killed livestock, you know, just a lot of weird stuff that was going on. This is Gunnar Monson. Along with me tonight are Shane Corson and Julie Wrench. We are pre-recording a special edition of Monstrex Radio uh, for you in the future. So um, we are calling out to you from the past, I think. So this is actually it's <laughs> Wednesday evening Pacific Coast time, and uh, I am currently, when you're listening to this, I am in Canada uh, on a boat looking for Sasquatch um, as part of Operation Sea Monkey. So um, we just decided we'd, we'd uh, record an episode where we talk about uh, what current research uh, that we are all doing um, and, and uh, uh, share that with Monster X listeners. Um, I'm sometimes asked what, you know, what is, what's so special about, you know, Monster X Radio or why are you doing a podcast? And, and what's different for me as my, I mean, is we are all our active uh, field researchers slash investigators. So, um, and that gives us a different, you know, that's our, our uh, angle on, on the subject. So I, uh, I'd like to talk first to Julie about what she's been doing. She's had some interesting stuff going on in her neck of the woods. Um, hey, Gunner. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, doing pretty good. Um, got a little bit of a sore throat, so just bear with me if I sound like a frog. Um, oh, that's it. You're cut off. That's yeah, all I need that's to it. <laughs> so, Where's that mute Yeah. Button? It's that time of year. And a shout out to Shane. Hi, Shane. <laughs> hey, Julie. <laughs> hey. All right. So, yeah, we, uh, uh, some people may or may not know that 
I am an investigator for the Genosqua Project out of Ohio. And how that all came to be was um, I have an area where myself and Jeff have been for 10 years, and there's been, like, some very strange activity that has been going on there. And for the longest time, I really never made the connection to Sasquatch or Bigfoot or whatever you want to call it. Um, I just always thought it was strange, Um, different noises, different sounds, strange prints, um, you know, like trees bent over and, and things snapped everywhere. I just really never made the connection. But I always found it interesting. So, because, you know, Jeff and I would always go out and look at this stuff and go, wow, I wonder what, you know, who's out here causing this or what kind of, because where we're at, there are no bears. So we're always like, well, there's no bears out here. Um, So it was kind of fascinating. So I was looking at the Bigfoot stuff online one day because I'm thinking, well, I know that there are Bigfoot in Ohio, and but we're on the west side, so surely there are none over here, right? Because it's all on the east side of Ohio. So I started kind of making the connection. I started wondering. So I went online, and I was just kind of looking to see what the latest in Ohio Bigfooting was. And that's when the Genosco Project popped up on my feed. So I went in and joined the group and kind of observed and listened, watched for a while. And then I started getting to know everybody. And then I started confiding in Paul Hayes. He's the founder of the Genosco project from 2012 he and his son had a encounter on his own property in Stark County Um, they saw a Sasquatch creature on his property and ever since then he was completely hooked so he formed the Genosqua project and he's been researching it ever since because he's just changed his life so I started talking to him about different things that were going on and um, that's when I kind of thought, you know, I think something's going on over here. So I started looking into it, and there's a property not far from where I'm at where a being has been seen three times by the property owner since 2009. A being, right? That's what he called a being, because he, he himself did not realize that quote-unquote Bigfoot, lived in Ohio. He always assumed that they were out in your neck of the woods, guys. <laughs> you know, he never really <laughs> thought much about it. He never believed much about it. No, none of that. So then he saw one on his property, and he called a certain research group that came out and did an investigation, and there was tracks in the snow that were 17 inches long by 9 inches wide. And he documented it, and the pictures, you know, were, get, were given to this research group. And uh, over the course of the last several years, he has seen that creature three times on his property. That's not the same creature or not, but a creature, okay? One time... He was out on his back back patio, and it was like 1 or 2 in the morning. He was out there smoking a cigarette. As soon as he walked out to light a cigarette up, he looked over, and he saw one standing 
behind his children's swing set staring through his window. And it was about eight feet tall, and he said it scared him to death. They made eye contact, and this thing turned and disappeared off into the woods so fast. He said it was so fast that it was frightening, that nothing should or could move that fast that he's ever witnessed in it, and it really bothered him. So a couple different things that happened to him, um, he found a deer kill out in his woods. And he's got, um, there's probably about 50 acres of uh, private woods right behind his house that attach to several miles worth of woods that stretches to the east. Um, he found a, a deer kill, and he was out there looking at it, and he thought it was strange because the bottom jaw part was ripped off and missing. And he started looking, and he found that the leg bones were all stacked over against a tree about 10 feet away from the corpse. And he got closer to the leg bones, and all of a sudden a branch come flying from his left and hit him on the ball cap. He had a ball cap on. It hit him in the ball cap and knocked his ball cap off. Did it hit him in the head or? Just did on it his hit his head cap. or just his hat? Jeez. His hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he saw, he saw it coming from his, from left to right, he saw it horizontally, horizontally coming at him. So he took that as a message, and he backed out. <laughs> He's like, okay, I'm done. So he backed out of there, and he didn't go back out there for a while, like a week or two. So when he went back out there, the leg bones were missing. They were gone. He started looking around, and he found a – now this is how I explained it. He found a small teepee-like structure that was made out of branches and different things. And it wasn't, like, big enough for anybody to get into and, and stay or sleep or anything like that. It was just, like, like where somebody would want to put something and hide it. Sure enough, those bones were inside that teepee structure. Whoa. So he was, yeah, he was kind of confused <laughs> about that. And, um you know, this this kind of went on, and this, whatever this was, started throwing rocks the size of softballs from the tree line at him and his family when they were in his yard. So at they, their house. Right. Yeah, it's on his property. He's, they were in their backyard, and all of a sudden they had these rocks come whizzing by their heads. And it was always, like, right by their heads. It never hit them. It was just, like, zoom right past the head. Him and his children. Hey. So, and that's when he called the investigator because he was frightened. You know, um, he wasn't sure what in the world was going on. And he finally realized, you know, after he saw it three times, he's like, "Man, that's a Bigfoot." So here, within the last year, we have gained access to his property. So we've been going over there and uh, you know checking things out and. I found some interesting prints there not long ago, but they weren't, like, really big or anything. So, you know, you can't – if they're human size, you have, you have to default. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it was just weird because there was, like, four or five prints in the mud, and they came from nowhere, and they went from nowhere. Does that make sense? They're yep. just, like, right there, and then it looks like something took off through 
the um, the brush and everything to the right. You could see where something took off through there. Well, that was um, about six weeks ago when I went over there. And the reason why I went over there, because he heard something the Saturday before that. When they were out in their yard, it was 2 a.m., him and his children were camping outside. And he heard what he calls uh, chatter. He said it sounded like two large things were out in his woods going back and forth chattering. And mm. it scared him to death. You know, he he's never heard that before, but he said it would sound like two of them, and it was like a real low guttural sound. And it scared him to death, so that's, you know, he called me right away, and that's when I went out. But this happened on a Saturday, and I went out, like, within the week and found those prints and everything. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, it's just been really interesting. Last summer... I found a structure, and I'm not real big into structures. You know what I mean? No one's ever seen a Bigfoot make anything, so we can't say that Bigfoot did this or Bigfoot did that. But there was a structure that was about 20 foot in diameter and 6 feet in height, and it was made out of broken branches that were all woven together. So I went in there, and I was like, wow, this is interesting, and you know, he told me, he goes, yeah, that's out there, and that just kind of showed up overnight. Because, <laughs> you know, he walks <laughs> his property, and he sees, he's very familiar with his property. And he said it, it wasn't there one day, and it was there the next. Hmm. Yeah, that's so I, got, you know, I took pictures yeah. of all, yeah, that was, I took pictures of all that and everything. So, but anyways, um, to make a long story short, that's kind of where all this started for me. And... Just very recently, about five miles from his property, there's a gentleman that lives in a um, kind of like a farmhouse, and it's right at the edge of a field, and there's a bunch of woods behind his house. Well, he was woken up about two thirty, three o'clock in the morning to these strange sounds. He said it's like howls and almost like a screaming high pitch, and it woke him up, and it, you know, terrified him. So he contacted me, and because I was on my way to the Appalachian Mountains, I sent um, Jeff Lawson, who is our new investigator for the Genesis Project Southwest, um, and Jeff went over there and talked to him. I'm sorry? No, I was, uh, oh. was going to say, hey, Jeff. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Jeff Lawson. Hi, Jeff. He's, hey. he's one of our new investigators, and he went over there right away and talked to the gentleman. And, you know, he's lived there for a while, and he knows all the sounds, coyotes, whatever. We don't have bears. Um, We do have bobcats, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. But he said it was like a loud whoop, 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 many times over for several minutes long. So Jeff went over there, and he just, you know, the day investigation, checked things out. And, of course, there's the water supply, there's a lot of coverage, there's plenty of, um, you know, animals over there and things that uh, something could eat. You know, it's not like a barren out in the middle of nowhere. So it's kind of verified that it could be possible that there's a predator, that there's um, the water source, there's food sources, there's coverage. So a couple of days after that, his wife 
heard the same house, and she didn't believe in none of this. But she heard him in the middle of the night, and so now they're they're pretty scared. And we're going to be going over there doing an investigation very soon, a night investigation for him to kind of ease their mind, you know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. he was aware that um, the property some miles away from him, there was a sighting a long time ago, but he didn't know that the chatter happened just a few weeks ago. He had no clue because I did not um, put a report on the Genosical Project website, and he does not have a clue that that's been going on. So I found that kind of interesting because, you know, here you have the chatter uh, five miles away, and then a few weeks later you have these house. So, you know, what is it? We don't know. So that's why we're going to investigate. But um, one of the really cool things that happened this last summer was while while we were investigating, there's a um, a bob, barbed wire fence that's about like 250 feet plus long, and I was going along it, looking at every barb, you know, getting down there looking at every barb the entire length. And there was one barb that had hair attached to it, and it looked very unfamiliar to me. Um, it didn't look like horse hair. It didn't look like, you know, cow or any any known creature that I'm familiar with in this area. So I carefully collected it, and I sent it off to Cindy Dosen. And you guys know who Cindy is. The Homonym, what, what is the Homonym uh, Enigma? Is that the name of her Homonym lab up Enigma. there? And, okay, yeah, yes. thank you. Yeah, so yeah. I sent it off to her, and she sent the results back, and she's like, well, that's Bobcat. Well, we haven't had Bobcat in this county in southwest Ohio since 1850. So we were able to prove that bobcats are now making their way back into Ohio. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know, it just goes to show that all your time out there in the woods, if you're doing it right, isn't wasted because there's other things that you can discover as well. So that that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, there was that that happened with the Bluff Creek project. They right they documented right a martin in in their research area. And so, I mean, sometimes Bigfoot research is contributing to uh, wildlife research in other ways, which is cool. I mean, right. Yeah. yeah because we sure the heck haven't proved Bigfoot yet. Right. Because, I mean, <laughs> I think it's, it was easier to prove a bobcat was in our area since 18, for the first time since 1850 than it is that there's any, you know, eight foot <laughs> bipedal creatures. So. Right. But that was kind of cool, and it just you know it shows that if you do it right and if you're in it for the right reason, then it can be beneficial to um, the environment, and it shows what may be there and what may not be there. And uh, a lot of times, I think people get too caught up in, oh my God, is there Bigfoot or not? You know, and that it's it's more of a scientific thing for us. We, you know, I I get into these structures with a lint roller, and I'm rolling every branch, everything I. See it takes hours to go through some of this stuff and I mean that's just the way it's got to be done though if you really want to you know collect any evidence right. sometimes you can um, I'm in there on my hands and knees under these structures with the lint roller and I come out with branches sticking out of my hair you know, and just like oh you look great so <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know that's some... <laughs> right you, you know, gotta you gotta it, do yeah. what you gotta do <laughs> He's like, better you than me. 
So, um, but anyways, that's kind of how this all started for me. And, um, you know, yeah. like I said, we, we just went to the Appalachian Mountains. We spent seven days in the Appalachian Mountains two weeks ago. And the reason why we went there is, of course, I'm I'm from North Carolina originally, and I'm familiar with the, the stories of Sasquatch from North Carolina. Um, but the reason why we decided to go to the Appalachian Mountains near Grandfather Mountain was because one of the first reported stories happened in the summer of 1885. Um, a 13-year-old Cherokee girl was down at the bottom of a, a hollow collecting food and berries, and she heard, like, some shooting blast, you know, rifle blast up on the ridge. And all of a sudden, something come running down towards her. So she ducked behind some trees. She was scared, you know. Because <laughs> back then in 1885, um, being a young Cherokee girl, you didn't want to be caught out by white men, you know, out in the mm. the hollows. So... She hid, and she saw this creature that was six and a foot, six and a half foot to seven feet tall. She described it as being reddish hair in color, and it ran over, laid on the ground, and started piling debris and leaves and branches on itself to hide. And she said it acted like it was wounded, but she couldn't see any blood. Well, then she heard the guys, the the people that were shooting the, the the rifle's off coming down through the trail, so she took off out of there and, you know, wasn't sure what happened after that, but, you know, that was the first report of, and, and they were shooting at it. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so, you know, and there's, like, a lot of activity over there in Linville Gorge, you know, 1999, there was a couple that were camping out there, and they were in their tent, got down their sleeping bags. All of a sudden, they heard grunts and, and howls and moaning, and they're like, what is that? Because they've, they've been there quite a bit, you know, a, a lot of times, and they knew the, the familiar sounds of the area. So they listened, and at one point, it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and it kept going on, and it, it kept them awake. At one point, the lady said it sounded like a baby started crying. And that that really freaks me out because I've heard a lot of people say that, that it sounded like a baby crying out in the woods. Now, I know that, that bobcats can sound like that, and, you know, different things, but it was just kind of weird rabbits. because it was, right, different fox, rabbit, but it was kind of like mixed in with these other howls and things, and, and they were really scared to death. And at one point, the sounds got really close to them. <laughs> So, and, of course, they stayed in there. Um, they didn't see anything, but they, they, to this day, they're like, I don't know what that was because, you know, we've been there a bunch of times, never heard anything like it. But there's a lot of reports from that area of sightings, sounds, prints, different weird stuff going on. And that's also where the Brown Mountain Lights are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with Brown Mountain Lights? I, I I am familiar with him. Uh, I don't. I, I won't say I, I'm that familiar with him, but I, I've uh, done enough research I am not. on the subject that. Yeah. Well, right. do, do yeah, go ahead and explain a little bit, Julie. Yeah. Well, that area, the the Brown Mountain Lights. That's 
the Brown Mountain isn't far from this area. That whole entire area surrounds, like, the, you know, around the Appalachian Mountains, the Blue Ridge. Yeah. And for many, many years, people have seen these unexplained lights and the around the Brown Mountain, like, coming up out of the mountain, going down into the mountain, shooting off from one side, shooting. And different people at different times, even during the day. Um, and people have reported it for a very long time. And very recently, there were um, two scientists that attend the Appalachian uh, University. They're professors over there. Mm-hmm. They put up uh, cameras, and they actually caught the brown mountain light on their cameras. So they're they're trying to figure out what it is, but they have no explanation. So that whole area is like really kind of creepy and long history of strange reports. And so, but we, you know, we had a pretty good time out there. We one of the things on my bucket list was to ride a horse on the Appalachian Mountains. So I did that, and it was oh, like I a near death experience. Yeah. <laughs> it was a near-death experience. <laughs> it was like a near-death experience. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, you, you look down to your right, and if your horse would spook for any reason, you're going straight down that mountain. You know, and you're on the trail, and sometimes the trail is no wider than a foot and a half, two feet wide. Oh, jeez, yeah. Yeah. And you go straight up the mountain, nice straight horsey. down the mountain. Yeah, I'm like, oh, God, please. <laughs> but, yeah, it was a nice, really great experience. <laughs> Uh-huh. And we went to different places where there were sightings reported and, you know, just kind of investigated the area. And I did some research on what was in the area as far as the water sources and food sources and berries and all this, you know, prior to going. And um, it, it, I'm telling you, if, if they do exist, because I haven't seen one and I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, they exist. I know Shane has seen one. I haven't been that fortunate. I think that that would be a good place where they would live <laughs> because, I mean, there's just acres and acres and acres of untouched land over there. Right, right. Well, Julie, you know, talking about Ohio specifically, you know, you living in Ohio and being part of the Janowski Project with Paul Hayes, you know, uh, uh, Ohio, see, I live here in the Pacific Northwest, right? I live in Oregon, uh, soon probably to be in Washington possibly, but but I do research in both states, tremendous amount of research in both states. And, uh, you know, the the terrain, everything's so different. Ohio, uh, there's a, a tremendous amount of reports come out of Ohio, and you know this. Um, but where, if I was a researcher in Ohio, um, where would I want to go to? I mean, where are the, the spots that I'd want to be in? in Ohio or an investigator or enthusiast, where would I want to be? You know, where are some of the, where's the hot where's spots the in Ohio? Yeah. Uh, hot, yeah. Hot, yeah. Well, yeah. I'll tell you the Southeast around the Hawking Hills area is uh, notoriously right. known for activity. And then like up in Stark County, Stark County um, where Paul Hayes is actually is the number right. one County in Ohio that has the most reports. Um, and then when you get down to southeast Ohio, you know, there's a lot of hills down there. Um, that's where your old man's cave and Conkles Holler and all that stuff is. There's a lot of um, acres and acres and acres of forest down there. And, um, you know, that's 
that's the two places would be up near Stark County or down in southeast Ohio and even down near the Ohio River. You know, down there is a pretty good spot. Um, And actually, that's where we're going this spring. We're going to go down to southeast Ohio and spend five days down there, Jeff and I are, doing some investigating. Nice, nice. What about, uh, you know, Julie, in Oregon specifically, I'll speak on Oregon specifically, I find that with with the uh, Sasquatch or, or supposed Sasquatch sightings, the colors vary, but, you know, you get some that are, are described as, like, you know, brown or black. You do get a few that are described as white or gray, uh, but predominantly I, with with what I've found in research and, and the witnesses I spoke to, they're almost like an, a, a reddish brown or, you know, that sort of color, um, especially specifically in the Clackamas area here in Oregon. They're predominantly described as being like this this reddish brown, red kind of, you know, uh, color, uh, light red, you know. But what in in Ohio, do you have you got any opinion on as to you know predominantly what color they're being shown uh, being seen as there? Um, yeah, a lot of them are are very dark in color here. Um, and they range from like a, a dark brown to a black. The the mm-hmm. one that the property owner in my area that we are investigating saw was almost a, a coal black in color. Yeah. And we've also had reports of white ones. Right. You know, it's funny because I yeah. think Ohio has some of the, the highest numbers for that color seen. I uh, could be wrong. Yeah. That, but, yeah well, Pennsylvania Ohio, uh, and Ohio both yeah. are right or right up there um and you know i I, that boggles my mind i mean with ohio being you know it's lush and green in the summer and then icky in the winter and i guess something that would hang out in the winter here winter snow white it's why, I mean, it would make sense, right? Because most things that um, live out in the woods are adaptive to its environment for um, camouflage. So I often wondered, you know, why is there reports of white ones here and there isn't there? Well, Pennsylvania and Ohio have a large amount of snow in the winter. Right, right. Yeah, and that, that's, that's uh, you know, that's a, good, that's a great point. Uh, you know, I do want to point out as well, though, that, you know, with these sightings, you know, you got to look at the time of day, um, you know, I mean, predominantly most sightings come from, you know, uh, the, you know, twilight or nighttime uh, or late at night. And so, mm-hmm. you know, most people are pretty honest going, you know, it looked brown or black to me, but, it, you know, I don't know because it was from a distance and uh, it was dark you out. Or, sh- that shadowing and, and- – yeah. And, right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Well, that, I, I that can tell you a lot of reports. I'm sorry. A lot of reports here um, happen during full moon. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and a lot and of people that see them, see them with a the full moon, and they can say, "Wow, you know, it looks really black." Of course, it's going to look black, but with the full moon, you know, you can kind of tell if it has a reddish tint or you know, brownish tint, but a lot of them are black. 
Yeah. Hmm. Which which would make sense. Um, you know, I, I don't get a whole lot of uh, here in Oregon or Washington a whole lot of uh, Sasquatch reports of being white or gray, uh, more gray than white. But uh, you know, there's um, an area here in um, uh, sorry, there's an area in Washington where I have a good friend that uh, happens to be a police officer and had a possible sighting. He's he's pretty sure as to uh after after you know mulling it over and everything what he saw and this is years ago but um he didn't know that in that same area there was about four other sightings uh forgive me i think three other sightings of a white or grayish colored sasquatch um huh. that was seen in this area and well i mean you're talking about that many different reports in this area of that colored individual or, or subject uh, that stands out to me, but Ohio, and exactly like you said, Pennsylvania, do have a high report of these these white or gray mm-hmm. uh, Sasquatches. That's that's interesting. Uh, but you you, know, you make a good point with the snow. But you know, uh, then then the question comes to mind. Uh, you know, well, you know, are they born that way, or are they uh, you know um, adapting? Uh, what's going on there? You know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I've heard of people seeing white ones in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So it's like um, Pat Camp. She's a researcher for Genosqua. Um She's in the West Virginia, Virginia area. Remember, she was on the Monster X radio and told her experience. She saw a yeah. white one. Right. Um, then Jeffrey Sismacki, he's from Pennsylvania. He's also a researcher. Virgin Oscar Project, he has encountered one seven different times while hunting, and they range from dark black to gray in color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and have to wonder, because I, I, I've talked to an individual out of Washington recently. <clears throat> he was on our show, and he described it as, as uh, gray, and a lot of the those individuals I've talked to have described individuals as gray, and that, I mean, that's that's significant. I mean, when you think about the ecology of the area and everything else, you know, uh, you're talking about something that's going to stand out. I mean, you, you see these pa- these pictures on, uh, you know, social media and whatnot on the Internet where there's a white deer or a white moose, and, you know, they mm-hmm. stick out like sore thumbs. But yet, yet, right. they're, they're still out there and alive. You know, I mean, uh, a predator hasn't taken them down, right. a hunter hasn't taken them down, and they made it to adulthood. <laughs> Uh, and they're, and you know, they're, yeah, not as smart, I would imagine, rare, as a Sasquatch. Too. And rare. Right. Oh, yeah, I mean, definitely rare. I don't see thousands of pictures of white deer, you know. You're, right. They're kind of so, rare. Um, so that is interesting. You know, it, doesn't, it, it just boggles your mind when you try to think, well, what is it with, because um, usually evolutionarily speaking, Things adapt to their environment in an order to camouflage themselves for protection. And, you know, I'm assuming these creatures yeah. are predatory, so they would need to be stealthy. Um, so it, it is. It's, it's definitely something that is yeah. worth looking into. Um, yeah, I often, and just as an idea or a thought, I mean, simply with no basis, but like to think, you know, I mean, 
Sasquatch to me obviously is very rare. It, it just is. It's a rare subject. It's a rare entity, whatever, out there. But, you mean it has um, low population numbers. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're saying rare. Very right. low. Very low. Right. Yeah, rare. But, I mean, yeah, rare. Very Whatever. I mean, rare, yeah. low population. Um, uh, that there would be individuals. Because uh, if you're talking about numbers-wise, you know, I mean, imagine the amount of deer that are out there. <clears throat> you're going to get the occasional white one. But does that tie in with the Sasquatch thing? Maybe it's an aging thing. Maybe Sasquatch gets old and gets wider and gray. Uh, is there that yeah, rare exactly. that may not be may not be a, a, a big thing. You're just viewing an an eld, older Sasquatch uh out yeah, there. But, but, and lucky but yeah. it's but graying and whiting in, in primates isn't like total body. You know? I mean no. it's like humans and and right. gorillas their their entire body does not change in color. It's you know, mm-hmm. it's it's more topical. It's like our hair, our face facial hair gets gray, our head hair you know, it's 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 not the entire body though that. So I'm 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 a little right. dubious about that explanation. No, no, <clears throat> given, but you got to look at what how the sightings occur. So mm-hmm. are you are, are most sightings seeing the whole body, or are they seeing chest up? You know, right. how do you, you, know you got to look at the yeah. whole picture there. Um, it, you know, I my dog, I have a golden retriever. I mentioned this on the show before. His, mm-hmm. He's got a night. Nice, I have a golden retriever. Nice golden body, but his face is whiting. I mean, he's getting old. You know, his, right. his face is getting white and graying. Um, so, what are people seeing during their encounters? Uh, if we look at the numbers, um, that's a good point. I would imagine right. most people don't see the whole Sasquatch; they're seeing just a glimpse of it. Uh, right. You know, and and that could be gray to them, uh, depending on the light. Uh, could be white to some. So. Right. I guess you gotta look at the whole picture. Exactly. But that's interesting. Right. That's a great you gotta point. put it in I mean, contact. So there's you know, there's variants. Yeah. variants. Yeah. I mean there's variance in in uh, in higher primates, more so than than I mean chimps look more alike than humans. We have the highest diversity in appearance um of of all higher primates. I mean humans vary greatly from individual to individual. So um, you know, it could be that, and and it just you would expect some variance in the species that from that they're not all one color. They're not, you know, not all dogs are one particular color. Right. So right. it's not it it's it's it would be weirder if every Sasquatch was described as exactly the same color. That would make them sound like one animal. There's every right. you know every species have some degree of diversity in and right. so that actually kind of fits the pattern of of what you would expect in an actual species versus a imagined species. So, I mean, well, you, you guys you remember expect, Sam yeah. Ebert? He was he's one of our um, members of the Genotical Project. He's right. from Southeast Ohio. He was on and, and told about his story. Well, the ones that he saw down there were dark in color, and that's Southeast Ohio. And not too far from there, there's been reporting the white ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I investigated yeah. A, a report up in Washington um, when I was a member of the BFRO with with David Ellis and uh, another gentleman, and it was it was a white one, and it was 
it, it stretched the imagination because of what the the witness described that size, but it was inter- I found it was interesting, um, mm-hmm. and it, it again it was up in Washington, so but uh, in a different area than than uh, Shane is describing that that area. It's interesting. I I, I like when um, you have you know a variety of witnesses reporting um, something that unusual, um, right? In in a in a specific uh, geographic region, it's like. That kind of to me is like, hmm. There's something to that. If if it was, you know, your, you know, it, what what's interesting is you never hear of somebody uh, reporting a purple Sasquatch <laughs> or a pink. <laughs> you know, right I mean, it, the, the range of no, I mean, the range of colors that people describe are are what uh, you would expect in a in a real creature. It isn't like, oh yeah, I saw a you know a plaid Bigfoot or a green Bigfoot. It's right. they describe they describe brown, black, white. These are all colors of, of other known animals, you know, of confirmed species. So I like that when it as far as fitting in with uh if you're build in, in the story of, of building a, a case for this being a real animal. And uh, that that the variance in, in uh Reports fits within a uh, a reasonable expectation. Right, right. Well, it does. Stand, it does stand to reason. Yeah. Go ahead, Julie. No, go ahead, Shane. <clears throat> I was going to say it does stand to reason. It's it's pretty uh, amazing to me when you get these reports in um, from uh, individuals. Uh, multiple individuals from all sorts of walks of life and they're seeing the same thing you know and we're i'm going to refer back to like the white or the gray um mm-hmm. because um if you're going to make up a story right uh, if i was in nepal you know and we're going to talk about the yeti uh right. i may describe a white one if i was trying to confuse or hoax people but here in the united states or the or or the you know what not? I would probably try to go okay, brown, black, blah blah blah. But you know, you do get these reports, keep reporting. You know, this white or gray Sasquatch, um, and some of them are very, uh, as individuals, very trustworthy. At least as they come across to me, and really have nothing to gain. Um, to me, that's pretty, you know, pretty, uh, pretty interesting stuff. And so. Both in Ohio well, the, and Pennsylvania. I mean, actually, across across the country, you do get these reports, but there's a few places like Pennsylvania, like Julie said, in Ohio, and Washington, Oregon, even Northern California, you get these reports of the this gray or white Sasquatch that uh, are very interesting. So, no, it's, I agree. Um, the the uh, Ohio, of course, is is. Is almost famous for the the Ohio scream, you know, the Ohio howl, right? Which, Ohio which howl. came came out of out of the BFRO, and uh, mm-hmm. I was, I, you know, it was surprising to me when when uh, I first heard that. Growing up, I always like thought it was the Pacific Northwest our mm-hmm. monster. That's one of the things that kind of led me to be an in, interested in the topic. Is like, oh yeah, we have, you know, there's a there's a monster, quote unquote, monster out in the woods, and and it's in our area, so that's really cool. And 
yeah. lo and behold, kind of find out it actually is, you know, uh, much more widespread than the Pacific Northwest. Well, right. So. Well, Ohio is uh, like number five on the list of states that, that have the most reports. Right. Right. Um, and I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I've talked to people who it it changed their lives. Hunters mm-hmm. that no longer go out in the woods, you know, after hunting yeah. all their lives. Hunters that took five years before they went back out into the woods. You know, these are the kind of people that when you're talking to them and they start tearing up and shaking, mm-hmm. you you got to, you know, think they really believe they saw something because you can't fake that. You cannot fake that look of fear they have when they're recounting their story. Mm-hmm. No, I've had the same experience with witnesses out here in Oregon. I mean, I've talked mm-hmm. to, to to people that hunt bears and have some kind of um, Sasquatch-type experience. You know, they find footprints, hear weird uh, vocalizations that don't, you know, don't fit what they're used to. And, I, I mean, you think about it. You're a hunter out in the woods for years and years, and you, you – uh, have like the I call refer to it as the confirmation experience where you see one. There's no like denying it anymore that they exist. And like you got to think that we think we're the apex predator out in the woods. Well, here we are crawling, running around in the woods all these, you know, in our camo and and being stealthy. And these things were out there in the woods with us. So right, it is, it is uh, a little disconcerting to like think, yeah. geez, we are at the top of the you know the food chain may be out in the woods. Right. And um, like Jeffrey Sismecki over there in Pennsylvania, he, um, there are certain areas of Pennsylvania he will not go into this day when the sun goes down. Right. Yeah. And we have to, I have friends the same. You, you couldn't pay same. him to go out there. Mm-mm. Yeah, I have friends that are the same way here in Oregon. They hunt, but, but there are certain areas that they will not go mm-hmm. into. Uh, oh, because heck. Of, just, oh, heck. I mean, just because of the yeah. weird spirit. The weird feeling, not that they've ever seen oh, a bigfoot yeah, there, yeah. but the weird feeling that they get in a in a particular area. So yeah, right. I'm familiar I mean, with look that at, feeling. Yeah, I got. Go ahead, uh, I mean, how many reports do we have similar to this in Oregon, in Washington? You know, I I was speaking with a good friend of mine that uh, has had uh, never had an experience, but two of his buddies in an area that they hunt um, up in Washington. Um, I mean, and and these, and you know, size means nothing, right? As a person, but you know, when you, you look at somebody, you know, six five, six four, they're big, you know. Oh, what what are they afraid of? Probably nothing, right? But these, these oh, hunters, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, around Washington, that have had uh, experience in sightings. Um, they still hunt, but they will not hunt in certain areas. They will just avoid those areas because they they've had an experience. I mean. Those stories are a dime a dozen, uh, and mm-hmm. you know it's not stuff that's going to make national mm-hmm. news or anything. But the the point being right. is, you know, the, we're talking about guys that have been uh, living in these areas their whole life, hunting in these areas their whole life, that haven't encountered experience, and they're done, either done hunting <laughs> or done oh, hunting yeah. in those areas. Yeah, and, right. it's, it's, uh, and they don't like yeah. the fact that they're done because that's what they do, you know. That's right. what exactly. their love and their passion was hunting and, and you know, you know something happened when they completely give that up overnight. Well I found And over, they've been doing it for sixteen, twenty years. Right. And exactly, I found yeah. over a lifetime is that 
it takes it takes something pretty uh, uh, compelling to change somebody's ingrained behavior. You know, and somebody right. is that that is their life. Something, and all of a sudden they decided, I am never going out hunting any and again. I'm not going to the woods anymore, or I'm you know, I and or or there's a big time gap before they feel comfortable going back into the woods. Something happened, and is it Bigfoot? We don't know because I. Of the three of us, only there's only one of us that knows for sure. Right. Well, let me tell you about. You bring up a good point, though. (laughs) For me, for me during my encounter or before my encounter, you know, I I was I wasn't a believer, but I was definitely uh, involved in the subject. I cannot lie. I was interested in the subject of Sasquatch. I had been for a number of years. And I was very fortunate and lucky because, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a – I mean, I could look at John Bitternagel, uh, who's found uh, better impressions than I've ever found, uh, but he's never had a sighting. Um, but mm-hmm. I was fortunate to have a sighting uh, and so, be, you know, prehand, you know, been invested in the subject and had an interest. But right. you look at hunters, right? I'm, and I'm going to talk about hunters real quick and, though you know, those that have been in the woods their whole life. Uh, there's a difference, right? Because they really didn't probably give too much thought about Sasquatch or Bigfoot. They're out there hunting, um, and I'm going to refer back to fear. Whereas, you know, during my encounter, I was fearful. Uh, I was also excited, and it was like kind of like confirmation before the sighting, based on the events that happened. With a hunter, you get out there and you're like, you 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 get jump on any hunter site, any uh, uh, gun site. Most of these guys are, jo- you know, if Sasquatch is mentioned, they're joking, laughing about it. So you get a right. hunter out in these areas uh, that they've been hunting for years, that has been fathered in, they're hunting the same grounds their fathers and grandfathers did, and they have an encounter mm-hmm. or a sighting. It completely psychologically blows their mind and freaks them out. It just does. I've spoken to these guys right. before. It no, freaks right. them out. It You're blows right. their mind. Why is sa- what? Uh, no, this must be a joke. And then, but but yet they're freaked out, and they go, okay, well then, you know, they they like you said, Gunner, they're supposed to be the apex predator out there, and all of a sudden their world's world is completely right. flipped around, and uh, and uh, they do not want to go to these areas uh, again. Right. And how many times have I heard them say, "I wish I never saw it. I wish I never right. saw it." Yeah, it's a it's. I mean, there's a little bit of denial, I think, in 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 that because it's like that's a. I mean, it 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 always is interesting to me because I always like to ask people when they've had a encounter what their context was before their encounter. You know, had had the they thought it was a joke. Oh, I thought it. You know, I I had I'd watched all the shows. I mean, it some of that is that's always interesting to me is what their context was before um, their experience. Shane is out there and and is a Bigfoot researcher investigator, you know, has an interest in the subject and but but is out fishing, isn't actually out right. doing field research and has his experience. Right. Uh, and it's like that's just it goes again to what we talk about, like it you know, most sightings don't happen to uh when people are doing Bigfoot research. Mm-mm. We've had that very and, few and, and we've had that experience in our research area in Tillamook. Yeah, we've had now had three different sightings in our area, and two of them um, occurred when Bigfoot research wasn't happening. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's 
right place, right time. You know, um, if you're doing Bigfoot research, always be prepared. You know, that's that's uh, it's it. You don't know when it's ever going to happen again. I mean, it's just well, uh, I, I fascinating. Think, I think that speaks to the rarity of, of Sasquatch. I don't think there's you know a Sasquatch every around every corner. It's it's so rare that you least expect it. And that's why these hunters can and, and uh, hikers and, and campers can go out there and never see anything. Uh, but there's those handful of people that are hunting or camping or hiking these areas that have been hiking and camping and hunting these areas for many years that have this one chance encounter that flips their mind upside down. It, that you oh, are yeah. so lucky. Yeah. People don't understand. They think, but people don't I, always I think, think there's a big don't imp- perceive it as being lucky. Some of them like do not think that at all. <laughs> so. Well, right, but that's my point is that <laughs> right. when when you're talking about um, research of the, the phenomena mm-hmm. and, and investigating the phenomena, um, the chances of you seeing a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot are almost nil uh, because it, it it doesn't what? matter how much research you've done. Well, I'm sorry, Gunner. Uh, I might as well stay home next week then. I'm not going now. (laughs) Not saying it's not going to happen and not saying you're not going to try something new, but the thing is I think Sasquatch is that rare uh, and, you know, uh, rare species. Um, Right. You know, we're talking about these, these white and possibly gray Sasquatches that are seen from time to time. Um, and I could look at the same thing with deer and elk and moose that are the same color. They're very rare and rarely seen, you know, but it's just a chance, you know, a chance sighting. Uh, well, I think Sasquatch, no matter what color, is just a chance sighting. You got lucky. Uh, I'm not a big fan of habituation, right. per se. I think uh, Sasquatch will hang out in an area for a while, but... I like I like I like the yeah. term frequency. I mean that there you may you may have some people that live in an area mm-hmm. uh, that that have that are on a travel route, just like you could be with any other animal, where you might occasionally see a cougar or a bear or deer or elk because it's you're in their on their travel route. I don't I yeah um I don't know I don't know about the whole habituation you mm-hmm. know. Can you habituate? And I, I think, I think it's, I think the term is is used out of context. That it is yeah. actually what what true habituation means is that, that yeah, an animal and, and is, not, yeah, is, is it, no, is who, no longer who's habituating who, right? Yeah, I mean, and yeah. I'm my my dog has me trained. Right, my dog has me trained when he goes potty outside to give him a treat. So who's habituating who? Who's got who trained? Right. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's but but can. Do they frequent particular areas? I I would imagine they have a you know we now we're all into uh, our guessing and our best guess. Do other animal you know does their their behavior mimic other known animals? Most likely, I mean I don't think that they're wandering nomads that they the same Sasquatches up in uh, British Columbia and, and then is later in California. So right, well, I think they follow the food, of course. Um, right. I mean, they got to right. eat. Look, can you imagine the protein and caloric intake? Yeah. Something that big right. has to have every day. 
Right. I mean, they're going to follow the food, and, of course, there's got to be that water source nearby. Right. So, Shane, let's talk a little bit about what you've been doing with research. And and uh, you've had some, you had some interesting – I know you have a fondness for uh, the Mount Hood National Forest area because it's where you had your encounter. And uh, you were up there recently and had some interesting things happen. You know, you also are uh, – uh, a core member of the Olympic project. You were just up there and had some interesting things happen. And as, as well as Tillamook, which uh, we, we've had a lot of interesting things happen over, over the course of the last three or four years. So why don't you tell us right, what you're right. doing? So, yeah. So, well, you know, I moved up to Oregon from California in 2008 and kind of really starting and heavily involved up here with, with investigating and researching the subject of Sasquatch, but really uh, was more about contacts. I met a lot of people that had encounters and blah, 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 you know. Um, never really had anything happen to me, never really found anything. And it wasn't too, until 2011 in August that I had something uh, that confirmed my, my – it gave me confirmation that Sasquatch existed and then sent me on a path – to where I am now, uh, and, and Mount Hood is definitely uh, a huge area oh, yeah. of interest because of that, and but also because of the history of the area. You know, I love Clackamas County, but uh, but if you look at Mount Hood as a whole and the surrounding areas, uh, there's a rich history both with Native Americans and with just you know uh, us white guys now uh, roaming the area. Uh, so there's a huge history there. And I started doing a lot of research on the area. So I do a lot of moving around around Mount Hood, but I do focus in on um, a couple of key areas specifically because of my encounter um, and subsequent encounters uh, or uh, possible encounters. And also with looking at the history of the area and speaking with others that have had encounters in this area. So Mount Hood really does play a key role in it, but also Tillamook, you know, being involved with uh, the Tillamook Forest Group. Um, there's there's definitely something I've never had a sighting out there, but uh, we've had others that have, and I've had some crazy experience out in the Tillamook National Forest. I mean, uh, many that I can't explain. Um, most uh, mostly audio-wise speaking, um, that are you know reminded me of my initial encounter, which included some tremendous wood knocks. So, um, and then getting involved with the Olympic project in the Olympics. Well, pff, you kidding me? The Olympics are so amazing up in Washington. I mean, just talking about the vastness of forest and terrain with uh, even bigger history uh, of, of Sasquatch sightings and Native American stories and stuff. So uh, I, I'm really uh, juggling a little bit but trying to stay focused, and that makes it difficult at times because you're like, oh, should I be here? Should I be there? Should I be here? Um, but then what, what it boils down to is forest. – <laughs> well, yeah, but I might be biased. What <laughs> I know you are, but, but the thing is, it's about what, who you're working with. Like I can go out to Mount Hood and do uh, some investigations and research on the area. Uh, most of the time, when I'm out there, it's solo, if not just with one other individual. Whereas the Tillamook area, I'm working with a group of people, and with the Olympics, I'm working on the limb project. So there's groups and they're focused. Um, I tend to key on 
on that rather than the solo trips out. Because uh, I don't need an experience now. Uh, I've had it. Uh, I've had a, a couple of experiences. <laughs> <laughs> what I need now, you know, you know not, <laughs> I'm not bitter. Not necessarily I'm what not I need. <laughs> yeah, you are. But what I'm focused on now is really about uh, the compilation of data and, and, and who can help me out with that because I have my weak points, I have many weak points, and there's others out there that can um, really help me out with data you know, uh, collecting and, and looking at that data and telling me uh, where I'm wrong or where I'm right or whatever. So I focus in on you know, the Tillamook area and the Olympics. Even though I had an encounter in Mount Hood, you're talking about these, these vast areas where it's a needle in a haystack, and as you always say, Gunner, it's a moving needle in a haystack. So I really need to uh, focus in on these key areas with like-minded and sound individuals, and uh, that's what I've been doing is really looking at the data and working with individuals. Uh, and, and I've been working with, as we all have, people outside of these groups. You know, uh, right. Just because we're affiliated with one group doesn't mean you can't talk mm-hmm. to another group or another researcher. I think that's important. Very important. Right. Um you know and, collaboration. And, uh, collaboration, not competition as Gunner says. Uh, <laughs> because it's, 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 it 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 is I'm very start, important. I'm gonna have to start making bumper stickers, I think. Oh yeah. Or t shirts. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I totally agree with that because like <laughs> over here in Ohio, just south of us we have um Charlie Raymond, Larry Proctor right. Right, you know all the guys down yeah. there in his fantastic. Yeah, you've oh, got yeah. great groups and, of yeah, you've got great groups of individuals out there um, that you can that are we're all resources to each other if if we right. will you know join arms and sing kumbaya instead of bashing each other on right on bashing Facebook and all that. Right. Oh gosh, um, don't get me started. Yeah, yeah don't get me yeah. started. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, and that and that's a key focus of mine is collaboration, uh, right? And so, um, but to get important. to some of the stuff I've been up to, you know, um, Jess Southern, uh, who's a, a Tillamook Forest Group member and an Olympic Project member, uh, we went out to Mount Hood and at the very location where I had my sighting uh, that I've had other uh, occurrences, um, uh, activity happen. Not necessarily Sasquatch. I don't know. I didn't see Sasquatch after that, you know. But very odd things happen, and uh, we, you know, we were out there uh, investigating, and um, we were getting some odd stuff happen, you know, uh, growls and and uh, weird noises and stuff. Um, that's all recorded, and, and I'm still going through the audio files as to look at it visually via sonic visualizer and whatnot to, to get a better feel as where what was I because there, there are bears in this area. There's all sorts of animals in this area. So I can't rule out, I can't rule out what I'm hearing. You know, I can't rule it in as Sasquatch. I mean, right. well, the, but, why, why, why do you say that? What, what is your, where's the bar for you when, I mean, short of, so you say you've, you've heard these noises, but, but you can't you can't attribute it to Sasquatch. Well, how what? can you? Because well, I because I, I want you. Yeah, yeah that's I'm, what I'm asking. Yeah, because I, I'm not seeing Sasquatch make these sounds. You know, it's like um, exactly. 
No, thank exactly. you. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, I, yeah, of, course, we, of course, of course, I want right. to go. That's a Sasquatch. Of course, I want to. But right. if you're approaching the subject logically and you're trying to do it justice, and I do mean that, if you're trying to right. do the subject right. justice, what you're doing, all you're doing, really out there, with unless you see a Sasquatch and you got on film doing it, all you're trying to do right. is compile data as to what's out there and <clears throat> compare it to known sounds to unknown sounds. And right. uh, not just listen to it, not just vet it, but also look at it visually and see where the uh, proximities are there as to does this fit in the realm of a coyote, a bear, an elk, a deer, a, uh, a cougar, uh, you know, uh, whatnot. So are you saying it, it, are a, you saying you approach it as Bigfoot last? Bigfoot well, is course. last. Of course you do. It has to be. Thank you, Shelly. Shelly coming to Montana for that. Yeah. <laughs> Roll everything out before you roll anything in. Right. Right. Because if we're exactly. if we're always recording Sasquatch, it would have been proven by now, uh, or we've <laughs> seen Sasquatch. I I do think that they're that rare. Um, they they can mm-hmm. be in certain areas uh, in frequency, mm-hmm. as you uh, said earlier, Gunner. There can be in areas mm-hmm. I, I believe in frequency. But right. um, you got to look at it, it, and I do believe that Sasquatch is a a flesh and blood creature. Um, mm. That needs caloric intake, you know, uh, calories. And, I mean, needs heat. So to habituate an area for a creature of that size, depending if it's solo or in a family group or whatnot, I don't know. Um, it needs uh, to travel, and <clears throat> not necessarily mm-hmm. migration. Not necessarily migration. It just needs to travel um, from elevation to elevation, or you know, uh, fifty square miles, hundred yeah. square miles. You're yeah. talking about having a, a territory. You're yes. going to have a territory. Exactly. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. not necessarily so, migrate from one whole. You know, birds migrate. They go from north. Mm-hmm. They go to the south during the winter. That's a migration. But but a having a territory means a range of area that they're going to cover, and they don't necessarily go. A bazillion miles. A Sasquatch from here is not going to end up in New York, right? Unless, right. And you know, I, unless you, you know, one thing I want to note is, um, like with hunters, they will not hunt the very last deer out of that area. Okay, they'll they'll hunt and then move to another area because they don't want to leave that place barren because they right. want to come back next year and do it. So it would only make sense that if something was an apex predator and needed to, you know, like say kill deer to survive. I don't think it'd stay in one place and kill all the deer out. Right. You it know, would not make sense. Right. Yeah, because you, they, they know right. they're going to have to come back. So it almost makes sense to move on, you know, let the deer there that's left repopulate, come back next season. I mean, that's the kind of thing people need just to look like, at. That You mean that just like don't. every other animal. Just like every right. known proven animal, bears don't hunt out their area, so so there's exactly. no food source left. Right. So I mean, that's, right. well, unless yeah, they have a and, portal, and, they can and, jump uh, in. If if you look at, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. if you look at, you know, grizzly bears and stuff, they're not going right. to be. They're salmon runs, and there's you know berries during certain times of year. They're never going to be found in the same spot the same time of year. They're going to be found in different locations mm-hmm. because of what right. you know the fauna 
and the natural resources. You know, you got your salmon right. runs, your steelhead runs. Then you have your berries and, and different seasons. So they're not going right. to hang around a, a, a body of water when there's no salmon or, or steelhead or whatever coming through right. there. They're going to go, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. well, time to go find the berries because it's spring. You know, yep. let's go find the berries. And, follow so, and they're, well, they're not going to deplete that area completely out of everything because right. then, you know, maybe they need to make the trip back through there. Then what are they going to do? There's nothing there right. to well, eat. Well, it's a good point. You know, I mean, it's a good point. So, you know, when you're looking at uh, and you're talking about migration, well, it's not necessarily uh, migrating. It's just traveling to where you, the food sources are, as right. most known animals do. So it's not rocket science to me, and that's why I have a problem with mm-hmm. habituation. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if someone said to me that, uh, and I've and I've had this happen, you know, that uh, during this time of year, it seems to me that the Sasquatch are here, or or possibly here. Uh, mm-hmm. That that piques me more than oh they're here all year round. They're here every right. day. Right. That doesn't make any well, sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. barely, You'd have to have a heck of a food source. Right. It mm-hmm. would a heck of a food source, you know. So right. that doesn't speak right. to me uh, more than when people say, you know, you know, you know, August and September, um, we're getting these weird howls and stick breaks and knocks and, um, um, you know, uh, chickens are disappearing or whatever, you know. Right. Uh, that time of year, you know, that speaks to me more than they're here year-round mm-hmm. because it makes more right. sense. I mean, bears are not going to be – if you have bears coming on your property, guess what? They're not going to be there um, year-round. They're going to be there periodically, and they're going to mm-hmm. take off. Right. <clears throat> well, another thing that gets me is I've seen um, people make these casts, okay? And, like, not long ago I saw a cast that was, oh, my God. 21 inches long and maybe four inches wide. <laughs> I'm sorry. So? But that, <laughs> What's that's the point? not even physiologically possible for a, a creature that's eight foot tall to have a print that in, in that range. Well, must be 12 feet tall then. Well, yeah. But, I mean, it's just these kind of things just <laughs> boggle my mind. I'm like, do you not know about basic wildlife and physics I <laughs> I well I mean, I've heard of I've heard of 30 foot tall Bigfoot I just want to you know there's there's people out there that put out there that they have seen 30 foot tall Bigfoot <laughs> oh god I, I yeah. gotta ask you where where does a 30 foot tall Bigfoot hide the rest, most of the <laughs> Right. I mean, it's. Right. Yeah, I know. And what is it? That's, like, exactly. that's like three three stories tall. <laughs> yeah. Mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, if and I there's there's I mean it's funny because we're in a we're in a fringe topic and there's yeah, even fringy there's there's fringy stuff in bigfooting like that bigfooters people that are interested in the topic like make our eyebrows raise really high and touch mm-hmm. our forehead mm-hmm. our, and, uh-huh. and and uh, make our eyes roll. And that's, uh-huh. you know, uh, um, it's – some stuff just doesn't make uh, sense or doesn't fit in uh, the rest of the physical world. 
Um, well, that, you know, there, I mean, you have to be knowledgeable. Yeah, I mean, you should be knowledgeable about uh, several things Basically, before biology. you want to go out there and pretend you know something. You know, right. you you want to know about um, the creatures in the area, what kind of tracks they make, what they look like, what they would eat. Is there enough food? You know, where's the water source? It's what just, do their phones look like? So you don't mistakenly <laughs> send in a I. You know, uh, and I'm not saying anybody specific. I'm just saying occasionally yeah. a bone will pop up and it shows up on Facebook, maybe. Yeah. And yeah. is is presented as a possible Bigfoot evidence. And right. We find out later that it's a. It's, you know, well, I, I the mean, it's like, the horse. Right. No, because the, the cart will run over you at some point. So, but I mean, it's, you know, it's. That it being familiar with with the area that you're researching, if you're right. researching a, researching a particular area, just right. makes and sense. I mean, so I've that, seen, yeah. I've seen. Oh my God, I saw um, some raccoon prints that were claimed to be baby Sasquatch prints. Okay, and that's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that blows my mind. I'm like, how? How do you miss right. Mistaken. But either I you're so naive, either you're so naive, you know that you you have no basic knowledge of 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 the, the animals in the area that you got these prints from, you know, and that's it, some of it's just laziness. It's like I I I don't I, I I walk out my front door and I walk into the woods and I'm looking for Bigfoot stuff, you know, and that happens. There's people that go out, walk out their front door. Get in their car, drive up into the woods, and they're looking for Bigfoot evidence. And they they get a bunch of whatever they find. They want somebody else to tell them if it's Bigfoot. Right. And that's, and that's if, not Bigfoot. If you say it isn't, then they get mad as well. Well, yeah. so, well but in some cases, if, if that's you the look case, at if you look that's at confirmation bias. Right? Oh yeah. But if you it, look at yeah. here's the thing when you get these. When you get these 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 reports of thirty foot tall Bigfoot or these ginormous impressions, mm-hmm. look at the data. Look at what's right. out there in, in comparison. Right. Well, guess what? You're talking about like one sighting of that compared to a hundred uh, that fit in parameter of known stuff or, or known. Right. I mean, uh, not known, but stuff that actually Suspected. fits the There's bill. You know, so There's a range. We're, we're talking same, about. There, um, right. There's a range of sizes, just like there's a range of sizes of bears, deer, mm-hmm. elk, exactly. It, every I mean, if the environment if doesn't it, support that, then it's right. not realistic. Well, come on. If you found a 15-inch print that, of a raccoon footprint, come on. You're not. Uh, I'm leaving the woods if I if there's a 15-inch right. footprint of a from a raccoon. Because that thing yeah, is, I'm, I'm is that? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't yeah, want to run into that. It's look at the data. I mean, for raccoons, it doesn't fit right. what raccoons, right. you know. And I'm not saying that Sasquatch, it, obviously Sasquatch is not known. But right. if you look at the data and the amount of reports out there, the, right. those few fringe reports, you know, it's like, you know, when someone goes fishing and they caught a uh, uh, a 12-inch trout and all of a sudden right. it turns into a 30-inch trout, which would be a steelhead. Uh, right. Well, it, it's right. that doesn't happen, does it? Um, if they even caught a fish at all. 
Well, <laughs> so, and that a lot. Got, yeah, right. There's, I mean, a lot of we bigfooters as a whole. We need to take responsibility for being um, diligent in recording, actually mm-hmm. recording what what actually um, happens and what mm-hmm. actual physical data we we collect when we're out. Bigfooting a lot of. If you're not, all we all we we've got is another anecdotal story, you know. So I found oh I found a, a cool impression, and I, and we're right. all guilty of it. I mean I am guilt I've been guilty of it. We've had <laughs> stuff happen in our research area, and early particularly early on, we didn't have any protocols for. What do we do if we find? Oh crap! That's never happened before. We found this. We should have. We should. What should we do about it? Oh, we don't know. Run, you know, so as as you develop research protocol, and you need to follow your research protocols. Well, document everything. Yeah. You know, at, to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. So let me let me give you a perfect what, example, real quick. Would be mm-hmm. the uh, nesting site that the Olympic Project has exactly. uh, come across. A mm-hmm. perfect mm-hmm. example of this is that this is a nesting area or, or multiple nesting or bedding areas because people get – I've had people come at me, wow, why, why do you call it a nest? Well, I'm just going to call a nesting a bedding area. I don't care what you call it. It looks like a freaking nest, uh, but it could – you know, bedding area, I don't care. But giant nobody is calling it – nobody is calling it a Sasquatch bedding area. What, what right, we are right. calling it is – Unknown because it's not been found in, um, or you know, this sort of thing that's been discovered in Washington is unprecedented, uh-huh. really, and uh, nobody has an answer for it. Bear biologists have looked at this. Um, um, those involved with it directly in their many years of uh, doing what they're do- they do, including uh, you know loggers and whatnot, you've never seen anything like this. This is so unique, uh, but no one's calling it Sasquatch, but. What we are doing is comparing it to every known possible bedding nest thing out there uh, and comparing it to that. And it's not fitting that those parameters, but still not calling it mm-hmm. Sasquatch because no one's seen a Sasquatch sitting in one of those nests or, right. you know, you a bed down that. in one okay. of There is corroborating evidence. Possible. Wait, okay, but I will back up because there is corrob- some corroborating evidence. That it could possibly be Sasquatch, and that's and I was getting because <laughs> what what's that? I was getting no because yes yeah okay go ahead. Well yeah yeah I mean um, with some of the finds, including the hair that has come up um, unknown and fits the right. primate hair feature and and possible other samples from across the country. Um, it come it See, compares that, that's... uh. Good evidence to right those there. those hair samples uh, as unknown and, and and kind of fits in with parameter of what we think Sasquatch hair may look like, uh, you know, under a microscope and whatnot. And also the other finds, you know, I mean, there there were impressions found. Uh, there were, uh, you know, the, the rocks, which so compel me to this day. You know, the two rocks found at the head nest because it's very strategically placed. But the, the rocks found that did have scuff marks on them, like they were stored. connected together. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah. And, and there's multiple stuff there. But nobody's calling it Sasquatch. It, what we are doing is comparing it to everything right. known. And then from there we go, okay, well, we have may have something here. 
without calling it a Sasquatch. And 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 and, uh, and looking for and collaborating with other people in other areas that have found something maybe similar. And I'll, I'll be honest, I, we have found a few individuals. Um, there's one in Alaska. It happened. It happened in, yeah. on Monster X. We had we had yeah. Scott Harriet yeah. that told us that. He, like un, unsolicited, shared a story of finding a nest in association with a sighting. Right, that fit perfectly right. with that. I found this. Um, I found uh, when I was at the, uh, and this gives kudos to those uh, Bigfoot conferences that people like to bag on, was that at the uh, International Bigfoot Conference, um, I talked to two individuals uh, that one of them shared a picture with me. And uh, I talked to another individual that just shared a story with me where the net it was a perfect uh, fit um, as they had found something that fit within the parameters of what we had found that was still unknown. They were flabbergasted. And and so um, there's a book out there, um, Rainforest Sasquatch, that I was reviewing that um, – a friend of mine had sent to me, he said, hey, there's a picture in this book that sounds like what you guys are describing. And I looked at the picture and going, wow, that's exactly what uh, the nest looks like uh, in that book. And that book was, you know, it's, it, I think from the 80s, I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. still something that was found that fits within that parameter as a comparison, as a possibility to being similar. And um mm-hmm. So it it really boils down to collaboration and not competition and, mm-hmm. and comparing without calling it uh, what you think it is and that, that that's one of the key things is you know yes I have seen what I would call a Sasquatch um, I've had other encounters but I'm so skeptical of because I do think these things are rare evidence right. it, you have right. to be because I don't think it I was a lucky guy in a lucky situation. Not doing what um, I would expect I would be doing as a researcher because I was fishing, and so was very lucky. And bam, it happened. So m- mind blown. Where do you go from there? <laughs> and you look at everything. Um, you have to look at everything skeptical. You don't jump just because you had an encounter. Go, okay. Well, now every stick break, every knock, every uh, look. Yeah, it can't be because. Otherwise, it would have been proven by now. I'm sorry to say that, mm-hmm. but, it, uh, you know, it would have been proven. <laughs> well, well, you know what gets me is the people that go out and every time they're out, they have experiences and footprints and all this Mind stuff happens. It doesn't happen that way. Yeah, I mean, come on now. If it happened that way, we could all go outside our back doors and wave to the squatch. I mean, come on. Right. Well, the same the like, same people are are never forthcoming with with conclusive no, they evidence. No, have no evidence. Right. Zero pictures, well, zero video. Right. Nothing I, I, we've I think we've all experienced people that that show you pictures and claim that there's multiple squatches in them with circles around them, and and then we're idiots because we can't see it. And like, well, I, and I experienced that. Like, right. I, I got into it. You know, I. I, I had a gentleman that started that with me, like right after I started on Monster X, and um, and was show you know, and, and I'm like, I'm I'm trying to be nice because, like, I don't see what you're seeing. So you know, well, I can shoot, I can take you out there and take you right to him anytime. Really? I said, well, well, come on, man, bring CNN yeah, news. I mean, come yeah. on. 
but I mean, if you yeah, if you can do that, you know, if you can do that, then you can prove that they exist. And and they exist, you know. Well, they, you know, I'm protecting them. I don't. You're you're not really because they're they need to be protected. Their environment needs to be protected. Well, one of the things that you talked about. Yeah, if they're doing that, then yeah. they give, and thank God, I mean, I, trust me, I'm happy about it, but they give Montrex um, a much bigger uh, uh, blow-up than we really are. I mean, uh, we're not scientists, so uh, no. they need our approval, then that's pretty sad. I'm sorry. Right. But one of the things that about the Olympic project that is refreshing in their approach as um, and I, I sat there and watched Derek Randall's tell this story about when they he first saw the the nesting area and you can call it whatever you want to call it this this bedding area this you know and and hear him describe the the devastation of the how the the uh, huckleberry was all snapped off um, and and he and and Derek is is the consummate outdoors guy. I mean, he, he he hunts. It's his life. He you know he's out. His he's an outdoor guy, and and he described something that he had never seen before. But right in the same at the same time and in the same conversation and in the context is he's not saying it's Bigfoot. You know, it's right. And we need to go and we need to go slow in looking at this yeah. this new area of interest. Um, it's exciting as to. Uh, uh, as a as a part of the Olympic project, and mm-hmm. as as a Bigfoot researcher, you're excited that that kind of find is exciting. Um, but but you also the approach has to be the way right. that the Olympic project it's, is is doing. And that's, it is, it, that is exactly why I give kudos to Derek and the Olympic project. I mean. You'll never see him point at something and go, oh, my God, if that's what you did that. I mean, it's just not going to happen until there's a body on the slab that, you know, they're able to prove DNA or this or that. It is. It's refreshing. Right. Yeah, and and I I remember the phone call from Derek uh, about the nesting area or the bedding area. Um, uh, I got a call right away, and he was excited, yes. But at the same time, he's refrained because um, he knows that here's at the very least what was discovered was something unknown, uh, unprecedented, uh, something that uh, was not known to you know as far as how these nests were made and 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 embedded and everything else. It's something completely I... unknown. It may have nothing to do with Sasquatch. I, I I actually, for me personally, I think it does. I'll just say that. I, I think it does, right. but I can't prove that, and I'm willing to be wrong. But right. um, what we're learning but from you're not, these... But, but you're not mm-hmm. stating it as a fact. Right. You know, you're not oh, like going no, out and saying, we found Bigfoot nest. But, but, mm-hmm. no, every, no. but, but from your your knowledge of of what, it, you know, your your previous knowledge of what exists, you're leaning that way. I mean that's what you. I mean that's. Yeah, I'm definitely leaning that way, and for multiple for multiple reasons, and some of those have to do with the uh, the uh, the huckleberry in this area. These nests were Mm -hmm. made out of huckleberry, and they're very thick and huge. I mean, so big, and the huckleberry in this area 
as Derek has said on the show before, was it's like this little area that these nests were made were snapped. I, I've been there, so I know. Um, were, were snapped off. It looked like it was just a, a, a bulldozer came through and snapped everything off. I mean, it was, it was decimated. And some of this huckleberry, and, and for those out, for those of you that know huckleberry, it's a, a freaking stiff plant mm-hmm. right. um, that um, I tried to snap. I, as a test, tried to snap. And I, I'm a pretty strong guy. And Derek's a strong guy. And James Millen is a very strong guy. We tried to snap some of the same things that, you know, same size branches, and we couldn't do it. So um, could a bear do it? Sure, but these nests do not fit <laughs> not bear. And, and the snap well, animals also, were way high and way low. So now, they, weren't, they weren't chewed off. They weren't, no, no, they were definitely not yeah. chewed off. No. Right. So not was, one sign of a tumor. They were snapped off. Right. Oh, they so, were snapped. Some of them were snapped. Yeah. Some of them were snapped and not even ripped off, just snapped. Just, you know, like yeah. what we call classic Bigfoot signs, uh, unfortunately, but where they were just snapped and not ripped off. Right. Uh, even above the nest, yeah. they were just snapped. Some were ripped and, off. And, you know, or, one thing I, I always think about when I I think about the nest that you guys found and the things that Derek said about it is, Okay, so there's these eight, ten foot tall bipedal creatures out there, and they don't sleep standing up. Right, I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> I mean, we don't sleep standing up, right? Right. Eight no, most of us don't sleep standing up. Right. So you know, you, it does warrant that it could possibly be something. I mean, they got to sleep somewhere. Are they just going to go, like, lay on a rock? No. Right. And, and, well, and the thing with this nesting area, real quick, right. is that, so, you just take the nest set, you know, site, right? You're looking at them going, okay, cool. But the history, see, the thing is, Derek has had, personally, I've never had anything up there. I don't live up in this area, but Derek has had stuff happen in pretty, and, and many others, and historically speaking, you know, with the BFRO and um, with people reporting reporting reports, have had a lot of stuff happen in this area. So we're not talking about an area where there is no um, supposed Sasquatch activity. It has right, actually right. been reported. So if you look at the bigger picture, and then you, you take the fact that this is a remote area where nobody's been in a long mm-hmm. time, I mean, and you got a creek uh, or river with uh, salmon and stuff periodically, that's down the hill from this area, and you have huckleberries and, and all sorts. I mean, you know, my, when I went up to this area, I'll tell you real quick. When I went up to this initial area, and uh, we found many more uh, beddings and nests in this area um, along this ridge line, because they're not all bunched together. But my initial impression, and it's just me speaking, and just as a hypothesis, I mean, strictly speaking, is that I thought I was looking at like a birthing area where where something would would ha, you know have a family group based on the number of nests found along this ridge line and in groups along this ridge line with the amount of food and how deep these nests mm-hmm. were like i don't i personally I don't think these nests were used for um one night like gorillas would do uh you know they build a nest or a bedding area and they take off they were so deep and so big. Um, yes, Sasquatch would be much bigger, but it didn't make sense. And for the amount of devastation in this area, 
of snapping stuff and whatnot, it didn't make sense. It seemed like something was there for more than a day. Uh, I would get right. meat a month or more, possibly. I don't know. I really don't know. But when you look at the salmon runs in some of these areas and whatnot, you know, the fish runs and, and during particular parts of the season with the berries growing and stuff, you could be in one of these bedding areas and literally turn over and eat huckleberry or blueberry or whatever. And walk down the hill and go get down salmon. the hill, you can get <laughs> salmon and, and have a fill. Mm-hmm. I mean a fill because when I'm talking about a salmon run, I'm talking like this place fills up. <laughs> We're not talking about like one or two or three salmon come up this this stream. We're talking like stacking, like Alaska. Like they stack up. Dang. There's bones everywhere. You know, so it's like a feeding frenzy. So when I first came up to this area and got a, a feel for it and looked at everything, I was thinking this would be if if I was if I was a human, which I am, but if I was trying to raise <laughs> some young in this area uh, or feed a family, this would be the perfect location for me to hunker down where nobody's going to bother me. If somebody comes into this area, I'm going to hear them a mile away and I could evacuate. But I have salmon, I have uh, berries. It just so uh, as a hypothesis that stuck out in my head, and it could be I could be totally wrong, and that's cool. But it was a cool kind of a cool thing to think in my head that this may be one of those areas if Sas if Sasquatch did make these beds uh, that uh, right. it may be some sort of birthing or or nesting area for youngins. I don't know, but it was it was really well, cool that, to think about. Well, and that ties into what. Derek went looking for, you know, a, a, an example of that kind of behavior in, uh, in nature. And the, what he, the only thing he could find was gorilla nests. And one yep. of the things yep. that what that that is showed up in this area was what looked like practice nests, which is what gorillas do: is the, they teach their young ones to build yep. nests, yeah, in in sight of you know off the ground in bushes, and. Right. You you could speak better to that, so. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely because so, right, absolutely because so no primate, they had no what, primate being what there. I had seen. Yeah, what we I don't seen have was, gorillas. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, <laughs> but what I had seen was, um, you know, sticks and 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 well, I mean sticks, huckleberry. Uh, I saw uh, piles of it thrown onto other huckleberry where it was snapped off and never used, like just tossed off to the side. Mm. And then mm-hmm. in one or two bushes, I saw what I would consider a practice nest where it was, it was a, all these nests are on the ground other than that mm-hmm. weird one we found, we can see from, a, you know, the tree up in the tree. Uh, but mm-hmm. there, every nest was on the ground was huge, but there was a few that were almost, you know, they were very cylindrical in appearance, but, off the ground and not completed. Like they were like making them, and like you said, it's a practice nest. If you look at what gorillas do, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the infants mm-hmm. will mimic what their mother does because that's how they learn. And it was above the uh, bigger nest. So one has to wonder there if there's a similarity uh, or a comparison. Obviously, um, for people jumping conclusions, obviously we're dealing with something. If this is a uh, Sasquatch bedding or nesting area, obviously mm-hmm. we're dealing with something uh, more intelligent uh, because uh, we've not discovered them and not, they've not been proven, but also more rare. And by more rare, mm-hmm. I mean I mean there's I don't think there's uh, 
that many of them to uh, to uh, you know, and maybe that's why we get some of these white and gray Sasquatch reports. Maybe it's a genetic thing. Who knows? Well, it's it, it, right. Yeah, it, that that's one of the the coolest things to talk about is that 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 discovery, which. To be clear, the, the Olympic Project did not discover it, be, but because of their high profile, when somebody found it, they they contacted um, the Olympic Project, Derek in particular, and and shared that information with the Olympic Project. So, um, right. and and it just is it's it's building out a puzzle. I mean, the um, what Cindy what Cindy Dosen does is not DNA analysis. She has. Um, she has samples of hairs from different from known animals. She has samples of hairs for, from unknown, um, and she has samples of of hair from unknown that is associated with uh, a a Bigfoot sighting. Or so um, it, it gives a little more credence. And she and some of the hairs that were taken from the nest, there were there were known animal hairs in them. And, oh yeah. Uh, Right, so a deer, what you would expect, there were, you know, and there were hairs that fit the, the profile of what is in Cindy's database as Sasquatch hairs. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah, real quick, let me, so. let me let me touch upon that real quick. So, mm-hmm. out of the initial nest site, which I was not involved with originally, uh, they had collected samples and they came up unknown and matched possible other Sasquatch samples. I had collected hairs out of. Uh, a nest. In fact, the uh, a nest that James Million and I had discovered in this area, which happened to be the largest nest discovered yet, or bedding area. And I sent some hair samples to Cindy. Uh, she's out of British uh, Vancouver Island, and I sent some hair samples to her, and she sent them back to me as raccoon. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, cool. And she said, but but wait wait wait, they're dead raccoon. Now, when this raccoon, uh, this whatever, you know, where, you know, these hair samples came from, they were, it was a dead raccoon. And she also found live raccoon. So whatever, uh, something had died in that nesting area or had been brought to that nesting area and eaten because she had found, wow. it, as she described to me, was um, there was uh, a dead raccoon that was eaten there. Um, with possibly a mama raccoon protecting because there was two different raccoon hairs found. Uh, and so it was like um, baby raccoon was killed and eaten, and mama raccoon came in to try and save it, but good luck. So, uh, and she found that odd because it was in the nesting area. So something, you know, a dead raccoon was there at one time. So that was that was really, and not only I'll be honest with you. When I was in this particular site, I spent maybe ten minutes collecting hair, and there was loads of hair to be found. Had I spent more time, I could have found more hair. Before you slam me, I really did not want to spend a whole lot of time in this area because this was a new site found. Um, I wanted to collect and dash. So down the road here, there could be you know more possibilities as to the amount of hair we find and what could come from that, but. Um, at this point now, you know, uh, these nests don't seem to have been used for a while. 
uh, other than the initial nesting area, which was probably, I think Derek and when I had said that uh, when they had gotten there, you know, something had been there within a month. And that's why I think Man, they found, cool. yeah, that's why I think they had found <laughs> hair that uh, came up unknown because it was so recent. I mean, a month, I mean, there's going to be a lot of hair there. So the possibilities in this area, and we've only, dis- we've only researched this area um, so so much. Uh, there's a lot of, I think, cool discoveries to be made out of this area. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but it goes back to, once again, not claiming anything as Sasquatch. I may have my leniencies, you know, as to where I lean based on a lot of things. But, I, you know, I'm not saying That's not Sasquatch. A word. That's yeah, not a word. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> well, is Sasquatch a word? Yeah, well, it is. But leniencies yeah. is not a word. Just yeah, well, I'm going to lean on that. <laughs> but I have to give you a hard time. But uh, it no, I mean it's it's a fascinating find, you know. That's uh, um, so what what you know when we're talking to no, we're talking to Julie. She's out of Ohio, and, and uh, we're talking about you know Oregon and Washington and whatnot, and some of these mm-hmm. you know, Pennsylvania. We're we've been talking about a multi areas tonight. Um, All right. I always love to look at what are the similarities going on here. I mean, uh, I mean, Julie, have you ever heard of a nesting area or anything going on in or, or, or being found in Ohio or anything similar? Yeah, well, we uh, – I'm sorry. I'm still, like, coughing and stuff. We found that nesting area. We called it, like, a nesting area. But remember, yeah. it was 20 foot in diameter and 6 foot in height. And uh, yeah. it was like interwoven branches. I don't know what made it. Right. <laughs> Sorry. You're I mean, I can't like say, oh, this made or that. I don't know. But Jody Cook, back several years ago, found a, a very huge nest that um, they believe was made by. A Sasquatch, mm. and actually, that was on the um, documentary Monster Quest, Ohio Grassman. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you yeah, know, it makes you wonder because it makes you wonder it does, because I mean, the nests are like all over every the top five states in the United States that have Bigfoot reports also have nests. And batting reports. Right. Bam. Yeah, you nailed it. And and not every nest or bedding area would be the same. It just as not every sighting would be the same and not just with every activity would be the same. It would be different if we I mean, I do believe there are Sasquatch in multiple states. I will not say that they're prevalent throughout the United States, but uh I think there's multiple states with uh possible Sasquatch sightings and encounters. Um was a few I, I full, firmly believe they're they're living in, um, but uh, the uh, the you know when you when I'm looking at <clears throat> the bigger picture and comparing notes, you know uh, you know what what have individuals found in this area compared to this area, whether it's a vocal, um, a sighting, or uh, physical evidence like a bedding area or hair or whatever, you know I look at the, those those comparables and try to get a better 
bigger picture. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's all about collaboration and trying to see, you know, are we dealing with the same thing? Is this a real uh, possibility that Sasquatch does reside in multiple states? Uh, I think they would have to at this point. Right. I, I agree. Totally agree. You have sightings in multiple states, so it's you. You can't say that the the sightings uh, are you know all valid in Oregon and Washington, but they're not in Ohio or or New right. York because we don't we don't think they should be there. So um, it's part part of the the collection of data is is you know not is taking the data in yes you have to vet some of the data with the more uh, uh, extreme that don't fit right. within uh, a, a certain parameter you know um, right. if somebody yeah. tells me yeah. that they they if as a as a bigfoot in, uh, investigator and I go out and, and investigate a report that somebody that some and somebody tells me that they saw bigfoot flying you know flying a UFO and, and they, they, I, I, I have to take that with, and and vet that within, you know, what is reasonable to uh, include in the database. You know, if if somebody reports me that they saw a pink Bigfoot, and it's the only big pink Bigfoot that you know that that report that's ever been reported, it the likelihood of it being a valid report um, is is very low because that just, just does not fit in. It's just like any other animal. If you somebody reported seeing a pink uh, elk or deer or purple, you know, a rainbow-colored uh, raccoon, um, right. those well, things, there's there's some to, things that allow you to, to the, right allow you to back to the, the thirty or, foot. Right. The thirty-foot Sasquatch. Right. I mean, right. those reports are so certain. rare; um, they don't fit right. within. You're going to get those. I mean, you're going to get those. I mean, someone can see an alligator in Florida and go, "I saw a twenty-foot alligator." When, you know, that's one report, and then fit, fit the other reports. You know, it was ten feet. You know, I mean, yeah. Well, I tell you what, I have I have a jealous. I have a jealous. <laughs> Because Gunner what? is going tracing off in Operation Sea Monkey. Oh gosh, yeah. With unfortunate name. My idol, no hush now. I gotta tell you, <laughs> Thomas Steenberg. <clears throat> I know. You know yeah. I love him. <clears throat> I I know. So so he yeah let's. Let's hear about Let's talk Operation about, Sea Monkey. Let's talk about Operation Sea Monkey. So, uh, before uh, the International Bigfoot Conference, Todd Neese, who I've been friends with for a long time, posted that he was going out, you know, on this epic Bigfoot uh, expedition with a dream team of Bigfoot researchers, and uh, that seemed, and he was, you know, kind of hush hush about it, and uh, I. And he, we were we were chatting privately, and I and he like, yeah, I'm doing this uh, with the, you know the dream team of Bigfoot research, and I said, well, dude, you, you're missing one, inferring that I should be on this dream team, 
he didn't really say anything about it. And uh, he, he just let it pass over him like I hadn't even said it. But but uh, a- after the conference, he asked me if I would be interested in participating in this this uh, expedition that that uh, had popped out of. Uh, and um, what the idea was, and and Todd has this this idea when he retires from the military of taking his boat and going up and and looking at islands up in Canada off the coast of of uh, uh, British Columbia. Well, he has a friend of his, Tom Seward, Thomas Seward, who is a member of the First Nations, who lives up in that area and has had encounters in, in the islands where we're going to go look and, and said to Todd, well, why, why don't we just go ahead and do it? And uh, Todd said, great, let's do it. So um, Tom, Thomas Steenberg was in, invited to go. Um, of course, Thomas is going. Did you say Thomas Steenberg? Yes, I did. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, I guess. I, I know. Okay. Get your, I know you're fluttering right now. but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the premise is to take a sea craft in through these this series of islands where there's like 30 islands that are, are fairly close together. Um, and they know already. And Thomas Seward, Seward has had uh, experience, had a sighting on these islands, um, thinks that uh, that the, the Sasquatch, like the grizzlies that they already know, do this, swim between the islands for food source, and that this time of year um, that the clam... Uh, are now edible because it's not red tide anymore. So uh, we're going to utilize, uh, we're going to check out the coves of these islands right. at night, use, utilizing uh, thermal imaging and night vision, and hopefully, and we're bringing along two uh, people to actually document it by film. Uh, and hopefully we're going to get the island. Our, our fingers are crossed that we get some kind of definitive uh, on-film uh, image of, of Sasquatch coming down to, you know, I, and I joked with Todd, I said, when, what would you do if we're out there in the boat and, you know, you see a Sasquatch swimming on a night vision? And uh, I, and I, I'm not familiar with the equipment that, that uh, the the folks filming are bringing along, but they're professionals. Um, I was, I posted a, a, a link to a BBC show um, about gorillas this week in the group. And, and, I, and I was, I was floored by the amount of uh, definition that they actually were able to get. I hope, I'm hoping that our equipment uh, is on par with that because you could, you know, you could, you, you know, we've all seen uh, on finding Bigfoot or other reported Bigfoot uh, thermal images, and it's always a blob, you know. Um, the, the the thermal image of uh, I can't I'm forgetting the gentleman's name who who uh, uh, got the, the purported Sasquatch taking the candy bar off of the, the stump. Green. Green. Uh, Thank you. First My, name. Mike, Michael, Michael Green. Yeah, Michael and, Green, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, I mean, but it was a blob. There's no definition of, you know, you can't. Well, in those, if you looked at the images that are on in the Monster X group, 
um, from the BBC documentary. Um, I mean, you can you can see definition of facial features. You can see the the hair. Uh, you can actually they they have a zoomed in face on a on a baby. But I will uh, I will say they they were super close. So uh, right. you know that's one right. of the things where what. Yeah, yeah, they zoomed in, and you guys are going to have that technology. Trust me, you guys are going to right. have that technology where you can zoom in. And mm-hmm. on a boat, you guys can creep in on a boat right. and maybe be Back. sort of an attraction in some of these inlets. Um, that I mean, quite honestly, there's not uh, – for you, you guys are doing uh, Bigfoot research. Uh, there's not many boats or, or people out there doing that, going into no, inlets that late at night. So it, it's right. unprecedented. So that's unique well, yeah, to me. Is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, right. man, I'm and, so I'm super I'm super stoked because one I I get a I get a hand, worst case scenario, uh, you know I'm going with friends of mine and get to make you know make some new acquaintances and friends. Um, I've not hung I've not been around Thomas. Uh, very oh my much. God, I, Thomas! I, I, Did yeah. you say Thomas? <laughs> and you know. And uh, worst case scenario, it's a nice trip to uh, a low and and a cool experiment. You know, best case scenario, we come back with something that's really cool. Um, I I have you know I never enter into something like this with high expectation that oh we're well, gonna no, go no, get no. we're gonna go catch a bigfoot. You know, that's no. the the probability no. of of is is still low, but it's it still well, comes yeah, down but- to. It still the, comes the down cool to thing, the cool thing for me yourself in a position. Is, I, right. I mean, the it, cool yeah, thing it comes for down me to putting yourself in a position of looking in an area, you know, of it's straight to the haystack. Right. I mean, right. will they cooperate? Yeah. Not necessarily. Yeah, but the cool thing they, for me mm-hmm. is that you guys are, are – I know each and almost every individual involved with this, with the exception of maybe two – um, I know um, that you guys will probably uh, have so so much sleep deprivation um, and be so adamant about going to task here and, and getting the job done as much as you can do on your end right. with, with flair mm-hmm. and everything else that is being being presented here. Um, you guys really are going to. Uh, um, I mean, it's actually a really neat in, uh, endeavor. I mean, it really is. You're going into some remote areas doing some stuff that's never really been done before with the equipment. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. using yeah. drones with, and FLIR and everything with, else. With I mean, uh, and, mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tom Steinberg. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, it's actually a really cool endeavor. And even if you guys don't pull anything from this trip, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. right. it lays right. groundwork for future <laughs> trips. And that, to me, is right. really interesting because – I do believe, uh, based on the, the Native American stories and the history uh, of this area, those areas, that Sasquatch do inhabit uh, right. and do, uh, you know, frequent well, those areas. We, and then, given right. like you said, clams and everything else, I mean, perfect opportunity. Uh, and you guys will be adamant about uh, not being lackadaisical right. in what you're doing. Right. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting because uh, Justin. Uh, Turnipeski, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing the name that we had on last Sunday's show, who just did the uh, Wild Man uh, yeah. uh, documentary. Uh, his dad had an uh, a interesting encounter that's 
that he went and investigated or went and spent the night at or a few nights at uh, on Vancouver Island. And, of course, that's where our friend Cindy Dosen lives. Um, that's uh, uh, Dr. Bendernagel. Uh, I think I believe it's on Vancouver Island is where he he found these very um, impressive impressions. Yeah, uh, well, Redmond Mullins had Redmond right. had an encounter right. in that area. I mean, how many people have, do I know that have had an encounter in those areas? Let alone right. some of the more public stories and newsworthy stories that have occurred in those areas. That um, I you know I don't know the individuals. Some of them are natives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it made news in those areas that are very intriguing. Uh, it makes well, historically, sense, you know, historically I speaking, mean, phenomenal. Albert, what, Albert uh, Osterman? Ost- Osterman? Yes. I, can't, I never remember his last name. Yeah. The guy carried away in the sleeping bag. Um, yeah. I mean, it, that's in the area as well. So, uh, it, you know, it, uh, it's, I'm hoping for the best, you know, it's, uh, uh, we do have a GoFundMe campaign that, that will be running through the length of the uh, expedition, um, which oh. is listed on on, <laughs> on the uh, – I, I got to tell you, it, it's been well, interesting. Yeah. We've had a lot, a lot of great support from folks that have contributed and supported uh, the, the expedition. One of, and I've talked about this before. One of the challenges to Bigfoot research is – Ninety-nine point nine percent of all of all Bigfoot research is self-funded, and that limits what the ability of what you know the individual is able to do. And I've wow. caught some flack. I've caught some flack this week from people that you know, oh yeah. well, you know, you 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 should just pay for it yourself, or or uh, I'm not I'm not giving money to something like that. Oh, that's um, that's that's fine. I'm. Not, the funny thing is, is we're we're putting our own money into. It's not like we're asking, you know, everybody to pay for it for us. It's just it, there's some expense right. to what what uh, when you go out and do this. It's just the same thing as you know, if you went out and did what? a a week expedition anywhere, there you know it's limited to what the individuals Better. can afford to do. Yeah, yeah, Correct. exactly. What 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 offends me is that exactly as you put it is that uh, many of us have been out this a number of years, and it and it's really um, nobody's saying um, you have to do anything. It's it's hey, it's right. a GoFundMe, pay or don't pay. Right. Um, and but what 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 uh, Tawnese is doing is there's real quick. We're down to I think our last two minutes, but. What Tony okay. is doing is, hey, you know, I'll give you credit. I mean, basically, uh, it, they're going to make a documentary about this, and you'll be mentioned. So there's a there's a plus side to this. And right. if you well, want to be a part of, of research, cool. Or or if yeah. you believe in what we're what, what these guys are doing, do it. Or don't right. do it. It's not a big deal. Right. Let's, let's river, throw right. out there how oh, you can donate to it. What's the website? There, yes. Well, if you if Got you yeah, you can go to GoFundMe and look up Sea Monkey. Um, huh? Of course, that that was uh, and and the links on the Monster X page. And if you go to my personal uh, Monster X profile, you'll you'll find the link all over the place. So, and that's the thing is, you know, if somebody we I, I appreciate everybody that's chosen to uh, support the project, and I we're not asking anybody to you know 
give up a trip to McDonald's to to support different <laughs> research. You know, if, if you want, you know, if you want to do it, uh, right? If you right. want to, if you I want mean, to, you know, this is the real deal. Yeah. You got right. Gunner, you, want, you got Todd, you got Thomas Steinberg. Oh my God. <laughs> But the thing, but the thing is, if you want, you know, you want to support Bigfoot research, and this is a real thing. Uh, you know, we've had, I've had smart asses saying, you know, oh, we just want us to pay for your vacation. Oh please. And, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're, well, uh, that that'll be a separate GoFundMe account that's coming up later because I, I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't choose this location as my first vacation destination. But or hanging out with Todd for this long in a close proximity, but uh, I'm sacrificing and taking one for the team. So right, um, but I do, I, I do, I do, yeah, I, I do appreciate to be around Thomas Steenberg like that. Uh, you know, I know he, I hear that he's a very gassy man. So uh, <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> I'll, I'll have more oh, to report man. when we get back. This trip may be short, <laughs> but uh, you may get you know walk the plank, but yeah. No, um, the, the, like I said before, the cool thing is if you support this, you're involved with some, I mean, really serious research. And if you don't, no big deal. Right. You can watch on the, right. the, the sidelines and enjoy. Uh, you're going you're gonna to hear about whatever comes back from this, whether it's nothing or something. You're going to hear about it. But I do get be sick. Awesome. It's going to be awesome, regardless. I know it is. Uh, the pictures and what, the uh, talking about some great minds way, involved with this. Yeah. But you know, I, I, I do I, want to I thank for Julie fact, for, for oh no, real quick. I, I know for a fact that uh, that these individuals that are partaking in this uh, have spent uh, ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, uh, so to oh, ask yeah. for uh, a GoFundMe. Uh, I mean, n- not a big deal to me at all. I mean, I'm supporting it, uh, and uh, I support um, it. I'm not going to be there, but did. I'm going to be there because these guys I love and trust, and know that they will be doing the subject justice. So, um, go. You can go exactly. on, you know, YouTube and fund a lot of yahoos, or you can actually fund something that's going to mean something. It might. So, it, yeah, it might. You. It might produce some some tangible results. I mean, we're not going up there to go fishing. We're going up there to look for Bigfoot. So, um, right. I'm, I'm, and I'm excited that Gunner is going. <laughs> I tell you what, that's so exciting, and I'm so jealous. I know you are. To be next to Thomas. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm yeah. sure he's the fine copy, to, but yeah. I'll, I'll try to be. I'll try to grab a little bit of his hair or something and send it to you. I would just just cut a little clip off of that and send it to me. <laughs> Uh, I might mean, be a little I'm bit difficult from a boat. Uh, mm-hmm. I know. I'll, I'll I'll wait till the till we're coming back in. I won't do it on the way out. I, no, don't I, don't be like what? don't want to cause conflict starting out. <laughs> well, don't make don't make don't make sea monkey sea funky. Uh, so <laughs> bring back some hair or something. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, like Thomas, it, be like what? So not yeah. Well, you what, this has been a good a good. Program tonight, guys. I yeah, love your input. Yeah. Oh, I. It's it's. Yeah, and it's this fun. is one of my favorite things about bigfooting is sitting around with my my <laughs> friends and talking about you know what are you guys doing and and it it is. Uh, uh, I know we all get out and and uh, you know Shane and I go bigfooting together on a 
fairly often, but uh, I, I really like to hear what, what uh, you've got going on over in your neck of the woods, Julie. Ohio is a, is a Bigfoot hotbed, and uh, it's, it's cool that we are, you were willing to come on and, and talk about what, what uh, yeah. you've got going on. And uh, uh, so thank you. We're, Appreciate we that. Are, we are really, uh, I think we run over time. But uh, you know it's hard. Once once you get a, us talking about Bigfoot, it's always hard to, to stop. So, <laughs> but uh, for for everybody out there in Monster X Land, we appreciate you listening to the show, yes, we and uh, uh, we are humbled by our... your support. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for uh, the Monster X team of Julie Wrench, Shane Corson, and Gunner Monster. I, I want to thank you for listening, and I'll, I'll, I'll have stuff to share when I get back from uh, Operation Sea Monkey. That's thank right. you again, everybody. Squatch on. Thomas Keeper. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.